0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Kevin, it's great to have you here.
1: Good to be with you, Dan.
0: Before we opened the mic, we were talking about our Lord Jesus and how he's talked about in the scriptures. And sometimes there's things about Jesus that really surprises us. Maybe we've learned about Jesus as a a youth, and uh, we've thought about him being in a manger and growing up, but uh, there's some things in his life that might really surprise us. So that's the subject today. What are some of the things in the life of Jesus that maybe will uh, take us by surprise, but as we dig into the scriptures, uh, we see the real Jesus coming forth. So, Kevin, maybe you can take it from there.
1: Well, then that's very true. Jesus um, is continually upending uh, the popular conception that we have of him in our minds, and uh, that's why it's so important for us to engage the text of Holy Scripture, to, to listen to it, and to allow the words of Jesus to maintain their bite, if you will, and thus their transforming power under the operation of the Spirit to To change us, I think one of the places we see this, and I'm in the middle of a series on this right now, so it's on my heart, is in the parables of Jesus. When we think of the parables, often the conception is Jesus told stories. You know, he told stories because he was trying to be accessible to the people, which is, of course, true on one level, uh, that he wanted to be understood. And therefore he told stories, much the way modern preachers are encouraged to tell stories, to engage people. But when we come to the parables, we see something uh, quite a bit different than that. We see that Jesus in these stories uh, is often quite uh, prophetic. And in fact, he tells the parables in such a way that even his disciples have to come up to him after the parable and say, what did this parable mean? Could you please explain it? And that tells us, or at least tips us off to the fact that maybe something else is going on with the parables that uh, is shocking to our sense of Jesus as the storyteller trying to be accessible to the masses. I think um, the chief place to see this really is in the parable of the sower, which is, Uh, in Matthew 13, for example, and it's often been called the parable about parables because, uh, you know, in Mark's version of the parable, we're told, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? It's as if, if you can grasp the parable of the sower, you can get what Jesus is doing in the teaching of the parables in general. But what's kind of shocking, getting back to our topic about this is Jesus tells the parable, which to us seems relatively straightforward, but the parables, the disciples, excuse me, come up to him and they say, you know, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answers them and says now to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, those outside, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now this immediately sets us off to the fact that Jesus is telling the parables as a form of judgment. The parables are a type of provoking the inner circle to come to Jesus and say, what's the parable mean? But they also function to judge and harden those who don't understand it. And in Matthew's Gospel, He goes on shockingly and says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and their ears can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So Jesus is here saying the parables are, in a sense, a form of a judgment oracle on unrepentant Israel. And, and you'll see that as you move through the parables, as they get closer and closer to the end of Jesus' life, they become very sharp and very... Um, critical in their engagement of the temple leadership and the Jewish religious establishment to the point that the parables provoke some of the most hostile reaction to Jesus imaginable.
0: In your preaching, as you've gone through these parables, I, you know, personally, I've really enjoyed it, the insights that you share. And uh, these parables are relatively familiar to Christians, and yet um, you're kind of peeling... uh, the skin of the onion, and going deeper and deeper, and it's very fascinating to me. Some people would be bothered by this idea of um, what Jesus says here, that um, you will hear and not understand, seeing you'll see and not perceive. Uh, there seems to be a, a difference between, the, as we would say, the sheep and the goats, or those that who love Jesus and those who, who don't love Jesus. Um, how do you How do you deal with that emotionally that um there 's a selection almost
1: yeah, I think it cannot be avoided because of the way Jesus quotes Isaiah six in Matthew thirteen and again Matthew thirteen the parable of the sower is not just one parable among others it is the parable about parables. it is one of only two parables that receive an extended interpretation from the lips of Jesus, and so The notion is here that the word comes, and the word is a word which either produces repentance, which draws to Jesus, or hardens those who are hardened, blinds those who are blind. And in that sense, the parables are meant to do both things, to draw those to Jesus who have eyes to see, but also to blind those who do not have eyes to see. And once we see this, we realize again that the parables are a, a form of Jesus acting as a prophet. And I think it's important to see that the parables in Jesus' ministry are not simply free-floating stories with moral object lessons that are applicable you know, to the general um, moral state of man at any time. The parables are told in Jesus' ministry as he moves toward Jerusalem, and they're intended to sift and to discriminate and to judge. And to those outside, the parables are a form of obscuring the gospel to them in their hardness. This is quite different than the notion of, say, you think of the parables as uh, you know, the, the kind of, person at the local public library who says, come on, children, let's sit down and, and have a story. When Jesus says uh, to his hearers, hear another parable, at a certain point they pick up, well, this is going to be a challenging and difficult experience, especially if we're standing in the religious
0: leadership of the time. So um, as we come to parables, we, we may have some baggage that may not quite fit <laughs> um, the real meaning of the parable and and we might have some baggage regarding the person of Jesus too that that says um here's Jesus meek and mild or the parable is uh, what i used to hear growing up is is um uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning well i suppose that's not too too far off but uh, you're saying here that um, there's judgment there's judgment a coming <laughs>
1: Yeah, you should think of Jesus as um, the prophet of God, the one who in these last days God speaks to us in. Of course, that's true of his whole life in ministry, but it's especially on display in the parables. Let me, let me uh, contextualize this a little bit more. As you move on in the parables, in, in Matthew's Gospel, for example, you get to the last week of Jesus' life. He makes his triumphal entry in Matthew's gospel, and the next thing he does is he cleanses the temple. Now, I mean, imagine this situation. Jesus, in, in John, tells us in his gospel that when Jesus saw this scene at the temple, he actually sat down and made the whip that he used with his own two hands. hmm So you can imagine the the righteous indignation of the Lord sitting there and threading together strands of rope for who knows how long this took. And then going with that whip and chasing out the money changers, you can imagine money going everywhere and animals scattering and people scattering and Jesus throwing the tables over. And he says, you know, my house shall be called a house of prayer and you have made it into a den of robbers. And uh, right after that, right after that, he curses a fig tree, which stands in as a symbol for fruitless Israel. Mm -hmm. So he's got everyone's attention, and then he tells a series of three parables, all of which are designed to, to be a form of judgment pronunciations on the apostate leadership of the Jewish nation. The first one's the parable of the two sons. And there's, there's one son who says, I'm not going to go work in the vineyard, but he goes anyway and changes his mind. You know, and the other son says, I'm going to go, but he doesn't go. And he asks the, the crowds, you know, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, well, the first son, the one who said no, but went anyway. And then Jesus says to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John, meaning John the Baptist, came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you didn't afterward change your minds and believe him. So he's saying, look, the marginalized, the, what in the, the eyes of the leadership were the scum of the earth, right? The, the outcast, the unclean, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, they responded to John the Baptist and are entering the kingdom, you leaders are like the second son. You always know how to say yes to God. Sure, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll go, I'll go, but you don't do it. And therefore, the tax collectors who were considered you know, Roman underlings and traitors and, and the prostitutes who were unclean um, and immoral, they're entering the kingdom before you or even to the exclusion of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this, these are intended to provoke a crisis. And then he follows up with the parable of the tenants. Right? Not only has Israel rejected John the Baptist's witness, but God you know, sends his servants to, to, the, to the tenants, and they kill one, and they stone another, and he keeps sending more servants. It's a parable about God's patience and his faithfulness to Israel and sending prophet after prophet. And finally, in the parable of the tenants, he sends his son, and they kill his son. And then Jesus says, this means that the stone which the builders rejected in me, I've become the chief cornerstone, and I'm going to tear the kingdom of God away from you and give it to a people producing its fruits. And then he speaks of this stone falling and crushing people. It's a, a, a parable about the coming uh, destruction of Jerusalem, the tearing of the kingdom from Israel, the giving of it to the people of God, and the growth of that kingdom because Israel is in the process of rejecting Christ. So the parable it does not function simply as Jesus has a wonderful story to tell us uh, from which we can derive certain moral or spiritual lessons, although that's of course true, but it's a, it's a highly um, minimal reading of the parables. It rips them out of their historical context. And um, he goes on and tells a third parable, even more ferocious about the wedding feast where he invites everyone to the king's son's wedding. They don't come, they're too busy, they're working on their business or their farm, and eventually the king destroys their city. Um, And so it's as if the three parables say, you rejected John the Baptist, just like you rejected all the prophets, you rejected my son, and ultimately you reject the, the witness of the Christian church, and that will lead to the destruction of your city and your civilization. Those are in line with the parable about parables, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. The parables will either give repentance and draw one to Jesus, or they will harden and be the instruments of further judgment and blindness. And that Jesus is the Jesus who tells these stories.
0: This is uh, interesting. I try to imagine what the Israelites would feel like Uh, with this Jesus in their midst, they come into this knowing that they were the quote-unquote chosen people, and yet here's Jesus talking about judgment, talking about taking the kingdom from them and giving it to a nation that bears the fruits thereof. It must really shock these leaders to hear these words.
1: Yes, and it took them a while to figure out You know, Jesus used to have to tell them at the end of the parable that the parable's about you, but in the last week of his life, it's pretty clear what these parables are about. In fact, after the parable of the tenants, Matthew says, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, these are direct instruments Of confrontation in many cases, not every parable to be sure, but they're direct instruments of confrontation in a great number or percentage of the cases. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think there's a a caution here, though, and a very important one, and that is we can read these as if, you know, uh, well, there's two cautions. One is to the extent that they're judgments. They're judgments against the Jewish leadership of that generation in that time. They're not judgments against Jews for all time. No uh, continuing form of uh, judgment on the Jews, and certainly no ugly anti Semitism can be derived from the parables. Right. That's the first lesson, that really caution that really needs to be um, heralded forth here. The second thing is the parables still work as real warnings and cautions for us who have now become sons in the vineyard or tenants in the land of the Lord or workers, if you will, in this kingdom. Because we can all become complacent. We can all think we know the right answers. We can all become like that second son who say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And we can all become self-righteous and look at the prostitutes and the tax collectors and whatever categories of people you think are the most evil people in the world today, and, and harden ourselves to continuing to listen to Jesus and to follow Jesus. In fact, along these lines, Paul takes this up, really, in Romans 11, where he says, look, they were the natural branches of Israel were cut off, but God is able to graft them back in again. Yeah. You Gentiles are unnatural, wild branches, and you were grafted in against nature, he says, but, but you don't support the roots. The Jewish root supports you, and therefore you should fear and tremble, because God is able to cut you off for faithlessness as well. So I don't want to be heard as, as saying, you know, gee, the parables are really tough on Israel. They are, but they still instruct us who are the Israel of God of our need to abide in Christ to bring forth fruits of righteousness or to risk being cut off ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's not a... Um, how can I say this without offending somebody? It's not a thoughtless eternal security. I mean, we certainly believe that Christ holds us and will persevere in Him, but um, there must be that faithfulness.
1: Yes, there's no abiding or remaining in christ without faithfulness without bearing fruit and so while we're not saved by our faithfulness we're not saved without lives of faithful fruit bearing Mm -hmm. obedience and so um you know we ought not to be distracted at this point by exactly how the doctrine of god's sovereign decree works into this The, the point is is much like the rest of scripture god has his elect but he also warns the covenant community oh, yeah. that you who profess to be Christian, profess to be chosen, and are in the covenant community, are members of the body of Christ, you can be cut off. And so the, the, the parables are, warn, are not simply judgments for the leadership of Israel in that generation, they're warnings for the people of God in all generations. And, you know, they go back to. This, um, this ability to um, hear, to place ourselves under Scripture and let it criticize us and correct us, which I think is often difficult, especially for people who've been in the faith a long time. They get used to Scripture or comfortable with it. But Jesus is regularly saying quite shocking and provocative things that should sort of dislodge us from our um, self-satisfaction. And, and in the parable of the sower, it comes down to how one hears and receives the word of the gospel, which is sown by Jesus and by those who proclaim it, into the people of God. Uh, some people hear the word and it's immediately snatched up, but others hear it and receive it with great joy. But it, and it springs up immediately and bears fruit, but they have no root. They don't endure. Others hear it, and the cares of, of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, eventually choke it out. There is where I think modern American Christians have the most pressing and relevant warning. Yes. That, that, that the word is choked. And the fourth category is those who hear it and bring forth fruit, you know, receive it and obey it. But we're always, if you will, in this position where we need to hear, where we need to play, break up the fallow grounds of our hearts and where the Word needs to do its work in us, and, and we need to let it judge us, to draw us into Christ's death and into His resurrection. And so the parables are particularly helpful in seeing that when Jesus speaks, He speaks as the incarnate God, the prophet, priest, and king, and that Word has to be received with meekness so that it can be implanted in our souls and save us, and we never outgrow the need for this pedagogy, this schooling, this discipline uh, underneath the word of the living and risen Christ.
0: Mm. That's very helpful. And um, these parables are rich. I know you're preaching through a whole series on the parables of Jesus just um, not to give away too much, but um, what about this coming Lord's Day? Which parable are you preaching on this Lord's Day coming
1: up? Well, this Sunday will be the third one in the three um, sort of fierce parables that I spoke of after his triumphal entry, after uh, cleansing the temple, after cursing uh, the fig tree. Uh, there was the two sons, and then there was the tenants, and and this week is the wedding feast where mm. Jesus basically says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gives a feast for his son. And so essentially what he's saying in this parable is, look, Israel's been invited to this feast, but they don't want to come.
0: Mm.
1: So everything's ready. You know, the, 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 the table is spread, but people are paying no attention to my invitation. Yeah. Um, and in fact, those who I send out with the invitation, and this is probably a reference to Christian ministers of the gospel, not to prophets now, before Jesus, because Jesus is on the scene, and he's saying to Israel, I'm going to send out servants to invite you to this wedding. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be seized and treated shamefully and killed. And eventually, he says, the king, the father, whose, whose son's wedding is being ignored, uh, is going to send his troops and destroy those murderers and burn their city, which is almost certainly an allusion to the forthcoming destruction of jerusalem in 70 a.d wow mm-hmm. so jesus is you know in full prophet mode here he's in earnest in these parables he says um, then we're going to send out other servants and go out into the roads and gather anyone who can be found mm. and even there he says to us if you show up at this wedding without the right wedding garment on a reference to to being clothed in Christ's righteousness, and and to having the white linen, which the book of Revelation says is the righteous deeds of the saints, you're going to be cast out into the outer darkness. Yeah, very sober. Yes, and he says there, many are called, few are chosen. Many hear the gospel, many are called outwardly, but few are chosen, few demonstrate that they're elect by wearing a white wedding garment righteously throughout their lives.
0: You know, we're just about out of time. I'm just thinking about that person that's out there right now listening who maybe uh, they're really chewing on these words and saying, you know what, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to have him love me and love him myself and follow him. Any advice for that person?
1: Yes. Two things I would say. One is part of the context of what we've discussed here, Dan, needs to be because i don 't want people to think that Jesus is just an angry prophet, right I um, he has that streak in him, but he he is dealing here in the context, and you can see this in some of the parables of the long standing really millennia long patience and kindness and goodness of God to Israel in sending them prophet after prophet after prophet in Creating the vineyard and, and digging a wine press in it and putting a tower in it and putting a fence around it. These parables speak of the century after century after century of God's loving kindness and patience and goodness to Israel. It's in that context and after that long history of conflict that Jesus comes and speaks some of these biting words. What I would say so, a person needs to remember that Jesus is. Even as he speaks this way, the incarnate love of God for sinners who desires their repentance and salvation, that's why the parables, which are parables of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of God is like that, he tells the parable to try and illuminate the kingdom. And the kingdom was his basic message. Here's what he says to the person that you've just described. He says, repent, change your mind, change your heart, turn around, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He has appeared. He brings the kingdom of God into the dark kingdoms of this world. He offers free and full forgiveness. He offers to clothe you in his righteousness, to translate you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. That's his basic message. And even though those who are hardened will be further hardened by the parables, um, anyone at any time who repents and turns to Jesus will never be cast out, but will have eternal life.
0: Mm, That's beautiful. Kevin, we're out of time already for our program today. If there's anyone who wants to contact you, I'll just tell them to use the uh, email address here at the station. It is ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And uh, this entire episode is up on our website. Check it out. We're found at www.RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Kevin, thank you so much. For joining us today. Thanks for having me,
1: Dan. It's my pleasure.
0: And a quick reminder to our listener: please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.